this summer we're walking through the book of Matthew and also John. And um, I, I just felt this conviction in my heart at the beginning of this summer. Um, may Jesus become large in our eyes and in our lives. That was kind of the line. May he become really big. May he be the thing that takes up the full rear view mirror and the front view mirror. And so if you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 7. Last week, my good friend Jason Hubbard spoke on um, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and does anyone remember his acronym? Pray. P was pause. R was what? Rejoice. A was ask. And Y was yield. So pause, rejoice, ask, yield. Um, super good, super simple. And today I get the honor of speaking out of Matthew 7. Um, and the title of this message is Seeing Clearly. Oh my goodness, how many of us need to see clearly? <laughs> so God, we just pray for your word this morning. We pray every word of Jeremy would fade away, but every word of the Lord would be remembered and engraved in our hearts. God, I want to leave transformed today. God, we cry out to you today. Um, we just, like little Samuel, the little boy Samuel next to the altar, who just laid there and said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Can we just say that together? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God, that's our cry. As little kids, posture of little kids coming and saying, God, what do you want to say to me? Father God, what do you have to say? Um, that's our cry. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, hey, if... We got to the first little bit here. Hey, love, can you actually read for me um, just seven verses one through five? Uh, Matthew 7, verse one through five. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Awesome. Um, about five, about seven, eight years ago, I was working at St. Joseph Hospital, and there was this, um, these two older ladies talking, and they were talking about their dogs, and just how they, she had these two little dogs, and she just loved her little dogs, and, and uh, she was talking about how much she enjoyed her dogs, she lived alone with her dogs, and she left the room, and I was just working on my computer, and she walked back, back in with another lady, and she said, you know, yeah, they've been kind of sick lately, and, you know, things haven't been going really well, and blah, 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 she's talking sick, and I said, well, how long, how old are they? And, and I said, she's like, well, one's 10 and one's 14. And I said, oh, well, they've had a good life. And what I didn't realize is that she had changed topics from her, son, her, her dogs to her grandkids. And so I'm like, oh, they've had a good life, 10, 14. You know, they've lived long. How I many you know we need to hear clearly and understand clearly? And context is everything. You know, we look at our world around us. We look at what we see. And this passage talks about judging others clearly. And if you look at the whole part of, of Matthew 7, a lot of it has to do with how we judge others, what we receive from others, um, those that are going to be accepted, not accepted, and, and the life that pleases God. What does that look like? 
And with our eyes, you know, this, this verse is super famous, right? Judge not, right? Don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge me. But the clarity of this is that there actually is a right way to judge things. There's a right way to discern things. It's not that you're th- supposed to throw your brain out, and if you have an issue with somebody, that means you're wrong. No, the issue is can you see clearly? Can you discern clearly what is good and what is bad and how you should walk and how you should live? And I like reading this um, same passage that my wife just read in the Amplified Version. And check this out. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge. How many know so many of us are good judges of our country? Well, if I was in charge, this is the immigration policy I would have. This is how I would operate this, this, and this, and this. But, but you're not. Ooh. So that, you might be, so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so will you be judged. And in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. Why do you look at the insignificant speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice and acknowledge the big log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let me help you get that speck out of your eye? When year is a log in your own eye. This, my friends, I was, as I was preparing for this, I felt in my spirit, I was thinking about this, this word or this concept and this, prince, this real demonic force called the religious spirit. And how many of you have ever felt judged before? How many felt like you were never good enough? Like you were never going to measure up? And by golly, you better work harder, Right? This is a reality of the religious spirit. The religious spirit brings accusation. The religious spirit says work harder. The religious says there's the haves and the have-nots. The religious spirit says you need to reach my standard, be like me. The religious standard, the religious spirit says, well, if you just follow the formula, then things will be just right. And we, man, don't you hate the religious spirit? Don't you hate that thing that says, that, that brings all these things? It's like a heavy weight, a heavy burden that puts on the back of people. Even said, Jesus said of the religious leaders of the day, he said, you religious leaders, you'll go halfway around the world to convert somebody and you'll make them twice the son of the devil as yourself. You stand in the way of salvation and then you block other people from even getting there. The reality is we are so good at being religious because we as people want to break it down into ways that you and I can, can make it happen. We, we really want to manufacture in some ways our own salvation, our own right answers. But see, the way of the gospel is, no, you, you can't do it. The only way forward in Christ is the way of faith. And so, from accusation, because to every spirit, there is actually a counter to that. And here's one of the first things. The spirit of accusation comes from a place of a person not understanding the reality of what they've been forgiven from. Because it says in Scripture, it says, he who's been forgiven much, loves much. When we understand what we've been forgiven from, mercy is our first response. Accusation really comes from a place of pride, that says, look, this is the standard. You need to go this way. Now, I'm not saying you can never say to somebody, hey, this is wrong. 
But I would say, if you were going to your brother and there was a speck in their eye, would you go over to their eye and rip out the speck? No. You would come in gentleness. You would come in care because you want them to see. There would be a gentle love in your approach. When Jesus speaks of not judging, he's talking about those that are coming from a superiority that honestly don't care about those around them. They really just care, I'm right, you're wrong, get with the program. But when Jesus comes and he corrects something, and which he does in all of us, he comes gently and he says, hey, there's a speck in your eye, let me help you gently. And he does it with his care. I think, I think it's super important to recognize, too, there's this other reality, this whole working harder bit. And I, I was really convicted of this this morning, and I, I have to confess that sometimes I, I partner with being religious spirit. And I was realizing that this morning because sometimes when things aren't working out, it's easy to want to come up with a plan. To, to like, well, where's, where's God? Where's, where are things working? This isn't working. And so we like, well, the problem must be that I just need to try harder. And so we make our plan. We do our thing. Now, now there is a reality that we are called to work. There is a reality that we're called to, to do our part. But sometimes the work that God is calling us to is stop. We want to get married we want that dream to come true. We want um, to feel something from God. We want whatever to happen. And we don't hear anything from God. So we think, well, I, must, I better go do something. Maybe the work you need to do is to stop and wait and say, God, what are you saying? Four years ago, Raquel and I were, um, we had just transitioned out of a church. And they gave us an extra three, four weeks of pay. And we got a job offer of a church in eastern Canada, Windsor, Ontario. This was where I was, I was um, actually born. And we cried out to God and said, God, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go? Are we supposed to stay? And he simply said this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. I'll direct your path. And I said, awesome. Does that mean go or stay? And he said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on, and I'm like, for crying out loud, God. You're not answering the question. And you guys, without, I'll tell you this honestly, every day for weeks, I would get, somebody would tell me that verse. I would read it in my Bible. It would pop up, and I'm getting kind of frustrated. God, this is a big deal. Should we move to eastern Canada? Should we stay here? And he would say, Jeremy, listen closely. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Like, I, I know that. I know nothing. Could you please tell me something? So we go out there, walk into this church, and it was kind of funny. We sat on the stage. Do you remember this, Lovey? We sat on the stage, and it felt like a game show host. Like, we were sitting, and they were, like, passing the mic around to us, asking us questions. They were all sitting around tables, and anytime we would say something, they would applaud and be like, oh, that's so wonderful. They're such a wonderful couple. And we're thinking, are we supposed to come here? And, and we go, and then they, the board takes us out. We sit around this board table. They put me at the head at this, like, really nice cushy chair, and we're sitting there. The board looks at me and goes, well? And I said, what do you guys think? I'm deflecting, right? And, and they say, well, we feel really good about this. You know, there's a gentleman here. He thinks it's the Lord that you're supposed to move. He, he really believes God told him you're supposed to move here. 
And I said, well, all I know is God said to me, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on understanding, all your ways acknowledge me, I'll direct your path. This really doesn't answer your question. And so we're driving around the city, and I keep turning to my wife saying, what do you think? And she's like, I don't see any tacos. <laughs> and we're driving, and we get to the service the next morning, and I write this sermon called They Cry It Out because, frankly, we were crying out, God, what, did I what are we supposed to do? And I preach this sermon, and then they say, well, we're going to send you out to the pastor's office, and we're going to take a vote. And I said, well, I, you know, okay, great. So we go, and we sit in the pastor's office, and they come in, and they say, we have never had this happen in the history of our church. Well, what's that? You received 100% of the vote to come. I'm like, great, awesome, just made it hard. <laughs> Walk into the office, back out. They announce that we got 100% of the vote. And I walk up to the front. They hand me the mic. They're like, Pastor Schwader, would you please share a word? So I'm like, they passed me the mic. Awesome. And this must have been God because I, I wouldn't know how to say this. But I, said, I looked at them. I said, wow, you guys really like us. And they clap. And I said, and we really like you. And they clap. And I said, but we have to know if our stewardship with what God is doing is done for us in Whatcom County. And they got quiet. And then we went home. And then God gave us another verse. And it was this in, Pro, in Psalms. It says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. The same day, my wife and I both got a similar verse. And we had this confirmation in our heart, stay right where you are. A week or two later, we ended up telling that church no because we didn't, we didn't feel anything. And then we ended up saying yes to another thing here in Whatcom County. And then God reminded me, hey, remember I was talking to you about that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on an understanding, all your ways acknowledge me, I'll direct your path. I'm like, yeah. When I said trust, I meant trust. When I said trust me, that means I talk to you. When I said don't lean on your emotion, that means don't let this be the guiding force of your, your turmoil in your heart. Should I do this? Should I do that? I want this. I, don't let that be your guiding force. When I said don't lean on your understanding, I was saying submit my mind. It might look, this might look right. You have all the logic in place. Don't let that be your guiding force. Wait for my voice. I talk to my kids. God speaks to all who will listen to him. Wait on the Lord. He will talk to you. Wait for his voice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't let your emotions or your intellect be your guiding force. But anyway, religious spirit. The second, um, and then in, in that space of the religious spirit, um, we come along and sometimes we try to take a log out of someone else's eye. And I've learned this thing. I learned that I have authority to help people get out of spaces where they've struggled, where I have submitted my will and emotion to God. In other words, where you've had struggle and where you've said, God, I surrender my way, have your way, you now have an authority to help other people. It says in this passage, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to help take the log out of someone else's. If you're struggling with pornography and you recognize another guy struggling with pornography, the best way you can help the guy is you stop struggling with pornography. If you're struggling with coveting, the first thing to do is submit your heart to God and say, God, 
would you take this log out of my eye? The interesting thing is, it's a log in your eye and a speck in theirs. Guess what? They're the same size. The log in your eye is really a speck, and the log in the, and the speck in their eye is really a log. It's the same thing. The issue is we don't see clearly until the log is taken out. I went to a conference. This is a bunch of years ago before I was married. I was just starting to be a pastor, and they had on this thing, it was this thing called the Single Life Workshop, and I was a 30-year-old guy wanting to do relationships well, and so I'm like, well, I'll go to this thing, and God will speak into my life. It'll be really good. And I signed up because I always do this. Like, if you would like to be a leader, check this box. I'm like, oh, yeah, check that box. I want to lead. Whatever I can do, I want to lead. So I checked the box, and then I walk into this conference, and they said, hey, all of you that are volunteer to be group facilitators, would you come forward to the right side of the room? So we all walk up, and they say this to us. They say, hey, we just want you um, to know that you guys need to lead with vulnerability. If there's an exercise or a thing that happens, you need to be the first to volunteer because you're leading. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. We get into groups, and they say, okay, starting with your group leader, each one of you is going to tell your relationship journey. The good, the bad, the ugly. Awesome. So I get up, and I'm like, well, I struggled with this, and when I was 15 was the first time I ever saw pornography, and I had this relationship, and I did this, and I did this, and here I am spilling my guts to a bunch of people I don't know, freaked out. And then I found other people started doing the same thing. If you want to take a speck out of someone else's eye, the best place that we can first start is being vulnerable in our heart. You know, you might respect somebody because of their strengths, but you're going to trust them when you recognize in their weakness they open their heart to you. And they show you, hey, I'm, I'm, I've fallen too. I've, I've, I've messed up too. Let me reveal my heart to you. The next day, they asked us all to write letters like God was speaking to us. So we're all writing these letters. And I said, you know, I, I, I can't do this letter. I think to myself, I'm going to actually just write a letter to God and tell him how angry I am at a couple things. So I write this three-page letter about how mad I am at God about different things. I'm writing all this, writing all this. And then we finished doing that. And they said, all right, good job. We all did our exercise. All right, starting with your group leader, let's all share our letters. I'm like, Awesome. Hey, guys, um, I didn't follow the exercise. Um, I just told God how mad I was. Let me uh, read it to you. That week was one of the most transforming weeks I've ever walked through. It was a gal in that group that, I mean, all sorts of issues from molestation to all sorts of brokenness that people walk through. A lady that was married for 25 years and God healed her heart in that space. There's, there is something when we come in our brokenness and our weakness and we come to our brother we take the log out of our eye. We let the Holy Spirit work in us. And then in that space, we are now free to actually help other people take the log out of their eye. Humility wins the day, guys. My next thought was this. Let's keep the log out of our eye. Joshua 23, 8 through 15 says this. This really grabbed my heart. They had just received the land. They got this inheritance, and this is what happens when we come into Christ, right? He gives, brings us into this land, into this inheritance. He's like, here's your family, here's your place, here's your calling. I have a new place for you. And then in Christ, we step into this place of an inheritance in God. He gives us a space. And Joshua says this, after they get the land, they get the space. And by the way, some of us are crying out for our inheritance when God's like, if I gave it to you now, I don't know if you could keep it, so hold on. 
the fullness of what I have for you. Joshua 23, verse 8 says, But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. This is the, the, the leader before, right before he passes away. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you shall put to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the, rem the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriage with them so that you associate with them before you, know that for certain the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations before you, but they shall be a snare to you and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. God gives us this inheritance, but there's a temptation to step back into our old ways, right? Our old habits, our old stuff. We're free from it, but God gives this thing. He says a promise, first of all, if we can cling to the Lord, one of us will put a thousand to flight. But if we allow those things to seep into our heart, there comes a snare. Our eyes become clouded. There's a, a, a strain and a pain that puts in our lives. And so Joshua says the remedy is, Cling to the Lord. Cling to him. And they said in this, if you cling to the world, this is what will happen to you. If you cling to him, this is what happens to you. Love is clingy. Verse 6 in Matthew 7 says this, and I've always struggled with this passage because I never always felt like it was mean. Verse 6 in, in Matthew 7 says this, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample you underfoot and turn to attack you. I'm like, man, this is not nice calling people dogs. In fact, Jesus actually does this in another passage. There's a lady that comes to Jesus, and she's not a Jew, and she said, come and heal my daughter. And Jesus says this, It is not good to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Like, this is kind of a jerky thing to say. Like, this lady's a dog. And I was reading this this week, and I realized something as I read it. The word dogs here was kind of a metaphor for this. Those who despise the sacred things. A dog, in this context, was this. A person, when someone shares their testimony about what Jesus has done. When someone is, man, my God is so good to me, they'll smirk. They'll laugh. They'll, they won't regard with favor the work and the will of God. They say, eh, that's stupid. That's rubbish. They'll mock Christians, all that stuff. It's saying here in verse 6, it says, do not give what God has done in your life. See, this space of freedom that God brings us into, not everybody wants it. And there are those that would mock and jeer what Jesus has done. And Jesus says, look, if you try to give to those that are rejecting Christ, the preciousness of your testimony and what I've done, you're going to find that they're not going to treasure it. They're going to toss it away. Now, God's really good at taking hard hearts and softening them, but God is calling us to have eyes open to see who is hungry for something more, who, who actually has a heart that would honor, who would actually, if you said Jesus heals, they would be like, wow, I want to know more about that. The second thing I wanted to say, there was this, the religious spirit, but there was the second one that I felt like God put in my heart. 
And this has to do with Matthew 15, verse 21. If you could put that up on the, on the screen, it says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Therefore, there, every tree that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. The question is, who do we listen to? Who speaks what's true? Now, if I watch the news, everybody has their facts. Everybody sounds really smart. People are intellectually convincing. People are emotionally convincing. People can convince you of all sorts of things. But Jesus is saying this. How do you recognize what's true? The fruit. What is the fruit of the life of the person that is sharing the information? Now, the struggle is, it even says another part of Scripture, it says, some people's fruit is obvious. It goes before them. Some people's fruit is inconspicuous. It goes behind them. Some people, you recognize, wow, they're amazing as they walk in the room. Other people, you see the quiet life of a mother who serves her kids and her family well. And the day she passes, there's a multitude of people that are, are been blown away by her life. Have you ever been to a funeral of someone like that? There was a guy in um, Australia, he passed away, and at his funeral were hundreds and hundreds of people, and he was this man that was not known by very people, but there was a couple hundred people that were there at the funeral, all because every day for about 20 years, he would sit in a park, and as people would pass by, he would go up to them, hand them a track, and tell them, Jesus loves you. There was a couple hundred people in that room that came to know Jesus because of this man. Many of them didn't know each other. Some of them were out of town. The fruit of this man's life was not obvious, but it showed up in the end. 2 Timothy 4, 3-5 through 5 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How do you accumulate for yourself teachers today? I don't know, Google? YouTube? There's someone that can convince you and teach you about anything. They can give you facts about all sorts of stuff. If your conviction or your thoughts are made up before a conversation happens, you probably won't change. But it says this, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In this passage, Matthew 7, it says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. What's sheep's clothing like? It says this, when you look deeper into it, it says that, that they come across as gentle and innocent. Man, they seem like a really nice guy. Relatable. It makes sense. It's good. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. What's the fruit of these false teachers? There's the context of what it is. Their fruit is this. Self-crafted crafted doctrine. In other words, they've intellectually built up what they believe. And a self-focus. And what's the context of the self-crafted doctrine? To, to help or to, to suit their own passions. Beware of someone who builds their theology around so I can live my life how I want to live it. <laughs> 
a good father, a good mother in the faith, somebody that's worth listening to is someone that I probably will not agree with all the time. They're going to say things that I'm like, ooh, that was hard. If it always, if the people you listen to always agree with you or you always agree with everything they say, I question it. I, I think there should always be people in our life that challenge us into something more. Here's a really good question for each one of us. Who in your life can tell you something you don't want to hear? If someone comes into your life, who can come up to you and say, Jeremy, you're missing it here. And will you listen to them? We all need people that can challenge us right where we are and say, hey, Jeremy, you're missing it here. I love you too much to not say this to you. Who in your life can tell you that? In this whole thing of gathering teachers, I like to call it this, and I believe it fits with Scripture. It says this. It's, it's, you have the religious spirit, and you have the spirit of the age. And here's some markers of the spirit of the age. A replacement of conviction with emotion. In other words, if my emotions feel good, this must be good. If it feels right, it must be right. If it's intellectually something that makes sense to me, it must be good. But the conviction of God doesn't work that way. The conviction of God leads us to his emotion and his thinking. If we had it all figured out, then we'd be God. We're not called to follow our emotions, but we're called to lead our emotions. We need sanctified emotions, his emotions. Another thing, replacement over replacement of conviction with emotion. Another one is sincerity over obedience. I, I prayed a prayer once. I did good things. I'm a good person. Jesus says, even the demons believe, or James would say, even the demons believe and they shudder. It is not those that simply pray the prayer, but it is those that follow. I, another one is, I've had spiritual experiences. That must mean I'm okay. We had some people over for dinner a while ago at our house, and this lady was telling me all about visions that she had. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. You're a human. You, you're made in the, the image of God. Of course you've had spiritual experiences. Spiritual experiences do not validate how I live. It just means that you're made in the image of God. The spirit of the age would say, you are fine just as you are. And the spirit of God would say, unless my spirit leads you, you're lost without me. Who in my life can say, Jeremy, walk this way? Jesus warned us of those who would look good, who would appear gentle and innocent. That they would build their thoughts more based on their intellect than on what God's word says. We're called not to read the Bible, but to have the Bible read us. They will know, you will know them by their fruit. As I was studying all this, I came back to one final passage, and I was, I was thinking through um, this whole thing about having a log in my eye and having deception in my heart. You, you know, the problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived. Like, I, I think I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm doing it right, so... How do you know the deception that's in your heart unless it's shown to you? And how can you know whether it's done right? I would say this. The Spirit of God always comes firmly but gently. 
He always comes consistently in my life, but gently, because he doesn't want to damage us. A good framework, and can you put that one last slide I put up? For recognizing truth in my life, I think there's three things. It was the last slide, the one with the three words. God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. God's word, God's people, God's spirit. I can read God's word and I can come to conclusions of my own. I can mess it up. I can go to people and they can give me bad advice. I can seek the Holy Spirit. He can do something in me and speak to me. But there is a a synergy between the three of these that in the experiences that I have, I go and I take it through the Word of God and I say, God, does this experience line up with your Word? In the reading of His Word, and man, do I understand this right? Is this what God's saying? I can take it to God's people and they can say, well, this is what it means. And in the place of getting advice, I can take it to the Spirit and the Word. And in that, God is speaking to me. How do I deal with the deception in my heart? I I bring it to God's word, I bring it to God's people, and I bring it through his spirit. In that place of God's spirit, God's word, and his people, deception's taken out of my heart. The patterns that I've had, that I've walked in forever, they are removed out of my life. And it comes from me coming with a simple posture of, I think there's a speck in my eye and I don't know what to do with it. God, help me. If you got a Bible, go to Jeremiah 31.9. This is where we're going to land today. This really grabbed my heart. I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified. This is a, always a good one. If you're going to write notes in your Bible, I would do it on this one. Jeremiah 31.9. They will come with weeping. These are people that have strayed from God. In penitence, penitence, or repentance, and for joy, pouring out their prayers for the future. I, meaning God, will lead them back. I will cause them to walk by streams of water and bring them in a straight way in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim, Israel, is my firstborn. This really struck my heart, and What got me was the word, they will come with weeping. And I wrote down this phrase. I was thinking about it. If you had something in your eye, what happens? Tears. We need to weep again. It says this, they will come with weeping in repentance and for joy. Weeping for joy. Why? Because God's got good things. Weeping in repentance. Why? Because I've had a speck in my eye. It needs to come out. They will come with weeping in repentance and for joy. And what happens when the tears start to flow? It gets easier to to see again. We we get cleansed again. My eyes get refreshed and I, I it all comes out. Any of you that ever had contacts, like my wife has contacts, she gets something in her eye and her eyes start to to tear up. God wants to get the stuff out of our eyes so we can see again. They will weep in repentance and for joy, pouring out their prayers for what? The future. When we come to God, and we all know that we're a piece of work, that we need his help in our life, we come to God with the brokenness that we have, the spaces where we need to grow, and we say, oh God, 
I come in repentance. I don't want this in my life. I come with a heartfelt cry to you, and I come with an expectation of joy that you're going to do something good in my life. Pouring into the future, and let me say this. I'm going to pause really quick. How do you pray over your future? We really should every, like consistently, be praying over our families, be praying over our lives, praying over what God has, praying, God, conform me to where you want me to go, and God, I'm thankful for where you're taking me. And then it says this, as they pray over their future, I will lead them back. And what's this? I will cause them to walk by streams of water and bring them in a straight way in which they will not stumble. You want direction for your future? Come with a repentant heart, a joy-filled heart that says, oh God, touch my life, lead me into my future. And God's promise is this. I will lead you in places of refreshing. You'll have what you need. And two, it'll be a straight path where you're not going to stumble. This is how God operates. But my prayer for us this morning is, God, bring back the tears. Matthew 5, 4 says this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Going to end with this. Luke 18, 35 through 42 says this. Jesus was coming close to Jerusalem, and a blind man named Jeremy Schwader sat begging beside the road. The man heard the crowd walking by and asked what was happening. Some people told him that Jesus from Nazareth was passing by. So the blind man shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And Nick, can you guys come up? The people who were with him were going along with Jesus, told the man to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, son of David, have pity on me. What happened? Jesus stopped. And he told some people to bring the blind man over to him. When the blind man was getting near, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he answered. Jesus replied, I really like how he said this. Look, and you will see. No, no, I think you missed it, Jesus. I can't see. No, no, no. Look, and you will see. It's the same as he went with the man. There was a man that was crippled, and he said, take up your mat and walk. He's like, you don't understand. I don't have the ability to walk. You don't understand. I don't have the ability to see. And Jesus says, oh, but when I tell you to, you have the ability. Look, and you'll see. Wait for his voice. That's where the strength is. Your eyes are healed because of your faith. Right away the man could see, and he went with Jesus, starting and thanking God. When the crowd saw what had happened, they praised God. I can't do it, but when he calls you, we can. So everybody can just close your eyes. Some of you are under oppression. And some of you, there's a space of just crucifying the flesh. Sometimes the specks in our eyes are there because um, we've made choices. And sometimes there's, there's assignments against our life and we don't even feel like we have a choice. And God wants to free us from anxiety and turmoil and addiction. But right now I just want to deal with the space of the specks in our eye. And, and maybe you, you got like, man, I got a, I got a speck in my eye. <laughs> it's been there for a while. 
He wants to free us today. And like that blind man at the road, he wants to free us. Joshua said, if you cling to the Lord, one of you will turn a flight a thousand. That's our calling. If you have a speck in your eye, this is for you. I'm going to see it, but nobody else will. Could you just lift up your hand? I got a speck in my eye. Would you just lift up your hand? Yeah. Can everybody just lift up their hands? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, son of David, I'm blind. We're blind. Without him, we're blind. We don't, we don't have it. We don't know it. We thank you that you come with gentleness and firmness to cleanse us and to take the speck out of our eye. If it's your heart and you want to do this, can you just say this with me? All to Jesus. One more time. All to Jesus. I surrender. All to Jesus. I surrender. God, we give you right now our habits. We give you our fears. God, we give you our intellect, God, and everything we think we know. We give you our emotions, God, and everything we feel. And we just say, God, all to Jesus, I surrender. Can we say that again? All to Jesus, I surrender. But there's another category of you in here that there's actually an oppression on your life. In fact, you don't even feel like you have a choice to stop that thing. And in the name of Jesus, he wants to free you today. His blood is enough to break the bondage of addiction today. And God's promise to each one of us this day is that if you resist the devil, if you submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee. So God, today we resist the devil and all his schemes. And we just right now simply say, Satan will flee. We're going to cling to you, Jesus, this week. We ask God for your grace on our life. Everyone said, amen. Before we go, if we could put the benediction up on the screen. Please feel free to come and, and pray more. Let's see some freedom. But let's read this together. Let's pray this together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen? Amen.